What a great passage this is this morning that we get to look at. Uh, Apollos, a man of the word. Uh, Very much looking forward to sharing with you today about this gentleman. And looking forward to seeing what the Lord does with us through this as we look at his example of being a man of the word. What does a man of the man or woman of the word look like? A recent poll of Americans used four key points to define what an evangelical Christian is. The statements were these, these four points. The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Second, it is very important for me to personally or for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Third, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that can remove the penalty of my sin. And fourth, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal life. Those are four pretty profound statements, right? I think everybody in the room would say, Amen, I agree, right? More than half of the thousand Americans polled strongly agreed that the Bible is their highest authority, 52%. Immediately I thought, what about the other 48? But 52% said they believe that the Bible is the highest authority, their highest authority. And Jesus' death is the only sacrifice that could remove their penalty of sin. That's 58% said that. In America, a thousand people were polled. Almost as many strongly agree that it is important for them to personally encourage non-Christians to trust in Christ. 49% of these thousand Americans said that this is what they should do. And that only those who trust solely in Jesus will be saved. 48% of the thousand said that. That sounds very encouraging, doesn't it? The conclusion of the Christianity Today article was this. About three in ten Americans fit this statistical definition of what would count as an evangelical by belief. Three in ten Americans believe those four points and would say that those four points are true. That's a lot of people. The conclusion is that, but the only question I have is, where's the evidence? I think a lot of people say this, but there's no life change. If 33% of the population in America are Bible-believing, God's word is the authority, Christ-exalting Christians, why are churches empty and nightclubs filled? Why are missionaries coming home because of a lack of financial support? And why are Christian colleges closing all around the country? And why is abortion on the rise? Listen to me, beloved. Just because we say we agree that the Bible is the highest authority for what we believe, this means nothing if our lives don't reflect submission to the Word. I think a lot of people say that the Bible is their highest authority, but they don't live like it. A person of the word looks dramatically different from a person of the world. Evidence is a better indicator of one's belief than a poll. 
You understand? What your life looks like is a better reflection of whether or not you really believe it. I don't know about you guys, but I don't see 33% of America living for Christ under the authority of Scripture. Do you? We'd be a radically different-looking country if we did, right? Today we're going to examine what a genuine man of the Word looks like. It's my prayer we will all seek the Lord as this man did. We're going to examine four characteristics of the man of the Word, Apollos. These four characteristics are found in our passage of this man of the word. Apollos was a mighty man of the word. We'll see that in in verses 24 and 25. And he was a bold proclaimer of the word in verses 25 and 26. And then a teachable student of the word. And finally, we will see he's a selfless ambassador of the word. Again, today we are going to see the grace of God at work in a man of the word. And my prayer is is that everybody here will go out wanting to be much like this man, Apollos. And we will call out to God that we will look more like Apollos. Every one of us should have this prayer. I want to look like this man, Apollos. And as we go along, you'll see just how, what an amazing man God was making this man into be. Let's look first. He was a mighty man of the word. He was a mighty man of the word. Look in verse 24. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man came to Ephesus. And he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Now to set our context, remember we are starting the third missionary journey. Paul has already gone through Ephesus on the way back to Antioch, but he was only there for a little bit. Remember they said stay. They asked him to stay in Ephesus, but he said, nope, got to go. And he went on to Antioch, and he stayed there for some time. After this, having spent some time there, verse 23, he left and passed on to Galatian area, went back through the churches that he had visited. And at this point in the narrative, Luke takes a break. He says, wait, let's talk about this other guy. And he goes back to Ephesus, where Paul had stayed for only a little bit, and he begins to talk about Apollos. In verses 24 through 28, He takes a side note and explains this other guy. Apollos is very much like the Apostle Paul, as we will see as we go through this passage. He was a mighty man of the word, as we see in this passage. So we're at the beginning of the third missionary journey, and we're now going to look at a different guy, another guy, Apollos. It says that he was an Alexandrian. This was a center of Jewish scholarship in Alexandria. Actually, the LXX, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, was most likely made in Alexandria. Several early church scholars were from this area in Alexandria. This man of the word came from that area to Ephesus. If you look, Alexandria is in the northern part of Africa, around uh, Egypt, in the Egypt area. And so he travels somehow up to Ephesus. Along the way, though, he had already been trained as a follower of the way. He had become a believer in Jesus. However, the study that he had learned, or the instruction that he had learned, as we will see, was only from John the Baptist, or one of John the Baptist's disciples. But he was a student of the word, as we will see. 
Apollos was well trained in the Old Testament scriptures in Alexandria. Apollos was an eloquent man, as the passage says. This means he was a man who studied and was well taught. He could speak beautifully and express himself well with language. He was articulate. He was persuasive. He was logical. In fact, he was logic on fire, as one commentator stated. He could communicate, as we see next, because he spoke the word of God. It's very important here. Just a side note on this. Some of us say it doesn't matter whether or not you can speak clearly or whether you should read or or do these things. Beloved, it does matter. God does pick people that can communicate well, too. In other words, God doesn't just pick the people that can't talk. He doesn't pick only those. He picks people that can communicate well, too. And I, I want to I challenge you here. Some of us can get into the mindset, well, it doesn't really matter about school or study or any of those kind of things because, after all, God uses donkeys to talk, right? But communication skills and reading and studying, children, are you listening, is a good thing. Reading your Bibles and reading things is good. You should be able to communicate. God can use you if you're a communicator. And God chose this eloquent man to proclaim the truth. In other words, take serious what you're doing because God could use it one day. Be a student. Notice also he was eloquent, but he was also mighty in the scriptures. Mighty or powerful in the scriptures is what this means. This probably refers to his ability to speak exactly what God's word said. He spoke with the authority of the scriptures on full display. This is more than just being a good communicator with passion. He relied upon the authority of the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says, you all know it. That the word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is powerful. It's authoritative. It speaks to our hearts and it transforms our hearts. You know, the word of God is powerful by itself. So when a preacher or a teacher or a disciple of Christ sets out to expound the meaning of a passage accurately, then the word of God works mightily. It's very important. This means that we explain it exactly what it says in its original context, correct? And when we do, guess what? The Word of God is authoritative. Listen, folks. The Word of God is able to alter hearts. It's capable of changing lives. It's mighty to make people new. Apollo spoke the Word of God accurately, it says, and authoritatively. And the Word of God did what it was intended to do transform lives. Obviously, this applies to everyone who knows and applies the word accurately. Listen to me. Apollos knew the word. Apollos proclaimed the word. Apollos was personally transformed by the word. And Apollos was a man of the word in every way. He lived the word, he spoke the word, he submitted to the word, he loved the word, and he taught the word. We'll see this as we look at this man. How about you? How about you? Are you mighty in the word? Do you live the word? Do you speak the word? 
Do you submit to the Word? Do you love the Word? Do you teach the Word? I want to be like this guy. How about you guys? I want to be like this. Are we people of the Word? Not just with our words, what we say, but how we live. So how was, Paul, how was Apollos mighty and powerful in the scriptures? How did he get this way? The next verse, 25a, explains it. The beginning of 25, notice it says, This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Apollos was mighty in the scriptures because he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Apollos was taught theologically. He was guided to the truth. He was mentored in the scriptures. The scriptures had been accurately explained to Apollos. Being in the mighty being mighty in the scriptures doesn't come by osmosis. It doesn't come by some magical transfusion of information in you. Do you understand folks? I can, I really I can relate with Apollos here. Not like the Apostle Paul that saw a vision of Jesus and was personally taught by Paul or by Jesus himself, as we know from the other scriptures. Apollos learned it. He was taught it. He studied the scriptures. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. It comes by being taught the word of God. Folks, that's, that's us, right? Apollos learned the old-fashioned way by somebody teaching him the scriptures. Yet as we will see, his teachers were limited in their understanding. They knew the scriptures and how they applied it to the coming Messiah. It appears his teachers were taught by John the Baptist, as we'll see, but they had a limited amount of knowledge regarding Jesus and how Jesus was to be the inaugurator of the new covenant. But the main idea here is, and I want you to note this, make sure you get this, Apollos was a mighty man of the word because he was taught thoroughly the word of God. He was taught it. Now that sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it's so important. People who are mighty in the scriptures are taught to be mighty in the scriptures. In this case, the Old Testament and how it pointed to Jesus being the way of salvation. That Jesus was the Christ. Apollos had been instruction. The verbal construction of this Greek here implies Apollos had been taught for a period of time in the past, but the teaching had stopped at some point in the past. In other words, Apollos had been disconnected from his source of teaching at some point. Specifically, he had some teaching regarding Jesus, but not a complete picture. And this is very significant. Because Apollos was taught that John the Baptist's message, and we know that if you study through the Gospels, you know that John the Baptist taught repentance for the Christ is coming. Get ready, because Christ is coming. And then at one point he does say, Jesus is that Christ, right? And that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, right? We know this to be true. However, it appears that Apollos only had a little bit of teaching from the scriptures. He didn't have the full picture. He was taught about the Messiah coming. He was taught that repentance was required because Christ was coming. He was even taught Jesus was the Christ. He was taught Christ was coming in fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. In a sense, Apollos is like an Old Testament saint stuck. He needed to know Pentecost. He didn't understand Pentecost completely. 
But I don't think Apollos had a complete understanding of all the work of Christ, the establishment of the new covenant. We know this because verse 26 says it. In verse 26 it says, But when Priscilla and Aquila heard them, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So it's very clear. The passage says it, right? He didn't have a full understanding of Christ and his work. It appears Apollos had some holes in his theology. It wasn't because he was a false teacher. Make sure you note this. Apollos in this whole section is never looked down upon as, oh, this guy's horrible, he's a false teacher, or anything like that. It's never described that way. It was because he was uninformed and needed more revelation. I believe he was regenerate. He was born again. But he was in the transition period between the Old and New Test- New Covenant. This whole section probably runs all the way to 197 in Acts 19, verse 7. And it's grouped with this idea of other followers or disciples of John the Baptist. And there is some differences. And I would believe that uh, Apollos was further along than the disciples found in verses 1 through 7 of 19, of chapter 19. But still, he lacked the full picture. Now, I think... Now, I believe, I lean, that, grant, that God had granted Apollos repentance, but he wasn't fully informed of the new covenant promises that were available to him. Notice, Apollos is described as speech, speaking and teaching accurately in verse 25. It says, he spoke and taught accurately. Apollos was well-trained. Apollos was an excellent communicator. Apollos powerfully spoke life-changing words from God. Apollos was a mighty man of the word. You know, folks, my prayer is, is that we will be a mighty church of the word, filled with a bunch of people that are mighty in the word. Apostle-like, or, or uh, Apollos-like, not apostle, Apollos-like people, men and women that are like Apollos, not Apollo, uh, apostles. Again, we don't become like Apollos by waiting on God to give us some mystical, supernatural revelation of himself. Don't wait. Pick up your Bibles and read them. Put yourself under other teachers. Put yourself in places where people are going to teach you the word accurately. I pray that's why you're at the church today. That's what we're about. I want to teach you the Bible. Hope you understand it better. We heard in Sunday school, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. Crave it. Pursue it. Want to know it more. Beloved, we we don't come to know Christ by just sitting going, hmm, please. Come give me a little bit of you. We passionately pursue him through the word of God. We study it. We want to know what it says and what it means in its original context because that's how we know him. He's given us his word. Friends, I want to be like Apollos. How about you? I want to, every one of you in this room, that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to make you look like Apollos. I'm going to teach you the Bible. I want every one of us to seek to make other Apolloses too, not just having a baby. And naming him Apollos. 
that would work too. But train your children. Aren't we trying to make our children all look like Apollos? We want them to be mighty in the scriptures, don't we? We need to pursue this. So first we see Apollos was a mighty man of the word. Next we see Apollos was a bold proclaimer of the word. Notice it says, And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. Apollos was fervent in the spirit. Beloved, I think this should be translated being fervent or zealous in the spirit. I think you should translate it that way. And you can argue with me later, but mainly because the article is supplied in the Greek and the Spirit's work in the disciples is emphasized throughout the book of Acts. So we have a case where Apollos was empowered by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, but he was still in need of training. But the Spirit was a major part of Apollos' zeal. There's no mention of being baptized with the Spirit like those in Um, Acts 19, that they needed to be baptized with the Spirit. So I lean that Apollos had the blessing of the new covenant already. He was already enjoying the benefits of the new covenant, but he wasn't completely aware of all that he had in Christ. It was a sense here that God was working despite the ignorance of his servant. The Spirit was there. Boy, isn't that like many of us, including myself at times, especially as a new believer? This is good news for us. Many of us feel like we have everything in our theology locked down before we share the gospel. have to have everything in our theology locked down before we share the gospel. But listen to me. I don't think that's true. Listen closely. We don't have to have everything in order perfectly before we start sharing the gospel. We need to start telling the gospel now. As soon as you know who Christ is, go for it. Amen, sister. (laughs) If you know Jesus, you know that he died for you, that he rose from the dead, and that you have hope in him, and that repentance is necessary, then start telling people. Don't wait until you can quote every line of Grudem, systematic theology. If so, none of us are going to share the gospel. So Apollos was a zealous proclaimer of Jesus, as we see, because the Spirit was at work in his life. Also notice Apollos was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Again, this is a characteristic we should all want to be marked by. I want to look like this. You know, this was my prayer before I walked up here. Lord, I want to speak truth. I want to be accurate. I want to say only what it says. Please, God. Help me only say what it says. No more. I want to be accurate. And I know I'm not perfect, so y'all can continue to pray for me. The phrase teaching accurately means to strictly conform to a high standard in teaching. To be extremely careful to be accurate in its teaching. Apollos took extraordinary care, the way this is worded, to proclaim the word of God accurately. It matters. So Apollos sought to proclaim the word concerning Jesus accurately. This means he took his responsibility seriously. 
He valued the Word of God. He pursued teaching it correctly. Even though we see his limitations in his understanding, he was acquainted only with the baptism of John, as it says, but he pursued being accurate and speaking it accurately. I believe we all tend towards one of two extremes. These are errors. One, we take God's word for granted, or we take God's work for granted, rather. So we don't take the study of God's word serious enough. In other words, we, we can fall to the trap that, into the trap that thinks, you know what, God's going to work in me, and so I just go and say whatever I want, and God's going to work. That's an extreme on one end that we will fall into a big hole, a deep hole. Why? Because it does take study. It takes pursuing him. It takes diligence. It takes discipline. It takes sitting down in your study and reading your Bible. I'm not going to do it by raise of hands, but how many of you have actually read the Bible from cover to cover? Every line, every verse. More than once? Three times, four times. Yet all too often we stand up and say, thus says the Lord, but we don't even know context of many of the verses that we say. So that's one extreme, one error. Well, God will work in me. You know, it's like that preacher that I once knew. Went in and said, "How, how do you do on your study? It was right before. What do you do for your study? It was right before his the sermon that day. He said, well, I just opened my Bible about five minutes ago and I spent a little bit of time and I'm ready to go. The Spirit will work through me. (laughs) Run! That's scary. It's a guy that doesn't know the Word. This is an important task to study, to be diligent, to be disciplined. It's the same guy that made all kinds of phrases like, and by the way, every sermon was the same. It was every text. It didn't matter what text you were in. He was going to the gospel, and it was going to be an altar call at the end. And if there weren't 15 people that walked forward, you were going to have 15 more verses of just as I am. Until finally somebody came forward. This is not what being men and women of the word are is. Do you understand? Study. That's, uh, don't fall over to that extreme. But then there's the other. We elevate our role in the message preparation and delivery too high. So we avoid speaking with confidence about what we already know. That's a group too. And, and I have to admit that our church will fall this way. You know why it'll fall this way? I heard it this week. I love some of y'all. You're like, oh, yeah, I said that to him. At evangelism. Well, I feel like i got to know more. Beloved, you know more than most Christians in the world. <laughs> you know the gospel. Tell people about Christ. Proclaim the truth. Again, trust the Lord to work in you and then go tell the truth. Share the gospel. Apollos was the perfect balance. He appears to trust in God, therefore he speaks with boldness. At the same time, he was a careful student and he studied and He taught accurately at the same time. Apollos was, as you see, unashamed of the gospel. It says in verse 26, he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. He began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. 
This literally means he began to express himself freely, openly, fearlessly. Paul was described the same way in Acts chapter 9, verse 27. Apollos was not an apostle, this is important, but he spoke boldly like an apostle. He spoke with somebody that trusted in the truth of Scripture. This is what a person of the word looks like. Fearless. Write these words down. Man, these are, this is what it's about. This is what he's saying. Bold, boldly. Fearless, diligent, courageous proclaimers of the word of God. Beloved, we need more Christians like this in our world, don't we? Bold, fearless proclaimers of the truth. People who are not afraid to speak the truth. People that don't fear what other people think of them all the time. People who will stand for the truth even if it's not popular at the moment. Again, back to that survey. Many people say that the Bible is the sole source of authority. It is the main source of authority. Yet, it doesn't look like that. We throw the word down. We corrupt the word. and We don't speak the word like we should. Last week, we had an opportunity to share the gospel on campus. It'd be great if we could get even more of y'all in the room to step up with us and do this. But listen, it doesn't have to be on campus. This week, many of you are, are going to be around your families. It's Thanksgiving. Everybody thankful? And Thanksgiving's a great time because guess what happens? Families get together. Family members get together. And family members get together that aren't believers. <laughs> You're going to have non-believers around you. How about this? Pray for opportunities to give the gospel to some of your relatives this week. You know, in some ways, it's much easier to go out there on the campus and proclaim the gospel. That's real easy. You know why it's easy? Because, you know, if they reject you, who cares? I ain't going to see them again. But proclaim the gospel to your family. That'll show whether you're fearless or not. Share the gospel with somebody that might not like you the same, that you're going to see a lot. Now, does that mean that you bash them with the Bible? No. But you share with gentleness and grace and love and kindness with an understanding that their soul matters and that you love them. Think about this. Is there... Anything that brings more gratitude to our hearts than the gospel. So if we get together on Thanksgiving and talk about, well, I'm thankful for my family, I'm thankful for my house, I'm thankful for this turkey, and leave out the gospel, have we not missed the whole point of Thanksgiving? What are we thankful for? I'm thankful Christ came and died in my place. How about you? Thankful he's alive. Thankful he's coming back. <laughs> Thank you. I'm thankful he's the just judge and the sovereign creator of all things. He holds the universe in his hand. I'm thankful for God. How about you? Man, can you imagine our prayers Thursday are going to be amazing, aren't they? Can you imagine popcorn prayer at Pastor Mike's house? about popcorn prayer at your house? Y'all pray for me, okay? 
praying for you. Let's proclaim the gospel like Apollos did. The fact is, many of us probably know more about Jesus than the Apostle Paul, uh, uh, the, not the Apostle Paul, but Apollos. I did this twice now. <laughs> many of us know more about Jesus than Apollos did at this point in the narrative. At this point in the narrative, we probably know more about Christ than he did. But he's bold. He stood up in the synagogue and said, Jesus is the Christ that was promised. Let's do it, folks. Notice the next main phrase. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. This brings us to our next main point, the third point, a teachable student of the word. Apollos was a teachable student of the word. Notice it says, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they heard the message. They knew what he was saying. Remember, Priscilla and Aquila were the disciples of Paul that were met that Paul had met in Corinth earlier in Acts 18. They had been tent makers with Paul. They had traveled with Paul to Ephesus and stayed behind in Ephesus when Paul had gone on to Antioch. This couple was a huge asset for the kingdom of God. They were disciple makers. They opened their house up to others. In this case, they reached out to Apollos to help instruct him on the way of God. Oh, there's such a sweet lesson here for us. Look at how they did it. Look at how they instructed Apollos. They took him aside and explained to him. They didn't embarrass him. They didn't stand up in that synagogue and say, Hold on a second. Whoa, Apollos, you're missing a few details. Let me explain to you where you're wrong or where you need some informing. They took him aside. Their grace is evidenced by the fact that Apollos didn't give up afterwards. After being instructed, he was even more emboldened. Oh, folks, there's some great truth here. Some great lessons for us. Some great things to meditate on. Folks, when you hear somebody teaching the word and you hear something maybe a little bit off or maybe needs a little bit more instructing, how do you encourage them? Is is it possible that we are great at smacking people? And then they walk away defeated and say, well, I can't share the gospel with anybody anymore. Oh, folks, do you hear me? When you hear and you're communing and talking with people in whatever position you are, whether it's in your job or your neighbors or whatever, and they mention Christ, be careful how you communicate with them, how you then encourage them and call them and edify them and build them up to can grow in their walk with God. Don't be this you know, Bible thumper that smacks everybody. The idea is to encourage them. They took him aside and they didn't embarrass him. We all need to be more like this, right? We are supposed to be, as Hebrews 10.24, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We're supposed to meditate on how we can help people to be motivated to walk in the love of Christ. This is exactly what Priscilla and Quilla did. Again, I think we fall into one of two extremes again. We are either too harsh and in people's face, or we're too soft and never want to correct anyone. Where are you? Which one are you like? 
If you know your weakness, pray and seek to go against what your weakness is. Seek to be gentle or seek to be bold. Ask God to give you that courage and gentleness that's necessary to take people aside and instruct them and help them grow. I have to admit, we've got to all be careful if, if everything... I just recently dealt with somebody. It's not in the church. You won't know it. But I, I recently dealt with somebody uh, that I ministered alongside of a little bit. And every time I said something, the first word out of his mouth was, Nope. I'd say something. Nope. <laughs> nope. It's not that way. Nope. It's not that way. I mean, it was the first word. No. And I was like, I'm going to say, you know, Jesus is Lord. Nope. (laughs) I learned a lot, and I was edified. It was painful edification. (laughs) But, folks, I think we need to be very careful. Are we encouragers? Are we edifying people? Are we building up? This is what Priscilla and Aquila were like. I want to be like them, too. How about you? Take him to the side and encourage him. He corrected him, and guess what? He went on about his business. How do we know that he changed? Well, because they did what? They sent a letter of recommendation with the guy. They didn't squash him. They encouraged him. What God did with Priscilla and Aquila was make a good preacher a great preacher. How about that? And by the way, that is a woman there, Priscilla Aquila. Priscilla is a woman. How about this? You mean to tell me a lady can speak to a man about the word? Yes. The Bible says it. Does it say that women should be preaching? No, it didn't say that. But it did say that they can encourage one another. And a woman can speak to a guy and tell him, hey, you're off a little bit here. If they wanted to make the point that it was only a man, guess what would have been mentioned? Aquila only. And in fact, the woman was mentioned first. Hmm. Some of us need to get over ourselves, men, especially in our circles. I'm being honest. Women can speak truth to men. <gasps> it's a good thing. I know some of y'all are laughing. You know what I'm talking about. Now, there's a characteristic of Apollos revealed in this section that really sets him apart from many people in this world. And I would argue this characteristic is what makes a genuinely great man or woman of the word. One characteristic. And I would argue it's probably one of the most important characteristics of all the characteristics revealed in this one little section. He was teachable. He was teachable. I think way too many of us think we are like Enoch more than Apollos. Do you know who Enoch was? Genesis? He describes Enoch this way. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. I think way too many of us think, hey, I'm the second coming of Enoch. I know it all. We have all of our theology figured out. And it's only a matter of time before God takes me from this earth because I figured it all out. Oh, folks, beloved, none of us in the room are 465 years old. And 
None of us are Enoch, including your pastor. Most of us have holes in our thinking and blind spots that would make Apollos blush. We all need to be more teachable. Listen, I, 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 I want to warn these guys that are teaching in the Sunday school class. You, you finish up and you think, wow, I did it. I preached the word. Or maybe you're teaching a Sunday school class and you just knock it out of the park and all the students clap. Whoa, that was the greatest teacher in the world. You know what that is? A trap. You got a long ways to go. Let me just help you stay humble. Nope. (laughs) We need to be more teachable, don't we? I've told the singles this. If I had to give one characteristic that would make or break whether a person should marry someone, it should be teachable teachable if someone has it all figured out i'd be very cautious in marrying that person apollos was a teachable student of the word that made him a mighty man of the word he was not a mighty man of the word a bold herald of the word he was also a teachable pupil of the scriptures They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And he embraced it. Again, why do I say that he embraced the truth? Look at verse 27. Because he received a recommendation from them in verse 27. And then Apollos helps the believers in Achaia, as it says in the second half of that verse. Apollos continues to preach Jesus, which implies he understands the new covenant ramifications now. He gets the bigger picture. A disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, is a person of the Word. And as we see here, a man or woman of the Word is a teachable student of the Word. Even some, someone who is already a bold proclaimer of the Word, must remain a teachable student of the Word. And by the way, this isn't just you reading your Bibles only. That is important. But I would suggest to you, if you don't have anybody in your life that's saying... Is this the way this should apply to your life? If you're not engaged with people that are calling you to account and applying Scripture to your life, I would argue that you're vulnerable of not being a true man of the Word or woman of the Word. Do you hear me? I hope you're taking note of this. How important do I think that Titus 2 is? Older women teaching younger women? Oh, I think it's extremely important. Why? Because, folks, we got this problem with our hearts. Still, after salvation, we have a tendency to do what? Read the Scriptures and apply them the way we want them to be applied. We apply the Scripture, oh, yeah, that, that fits me. I'll use it the way I want it to use. Do you have somebody speaking truth in your life? If you haven't said ouch in your heart from something that someone said to you in the last two or three weeks, then maybe... You're too disconnected. Did you hear me? If someone hasn't said something to you, then maybe we're not applying the scriptures enough. 
And I know many of the husbands and the wife in the room, they say, well, that's why I have a wife <laughs> or a husband. But, folks, I think it, it, it calls for us, even husbands and wife, just to let you know, we have blind spots for one another, too. Do you understand? We have a tendency to look at our spouses and see, oh, well, that's just who they are. And just kind of it rolls off of us. We need to put ourselves in people's lives that even if they're a little tough, like the nope guy, it's good. Do you have people in your life that are doing it? Are you a teachable student of the word? And if so, your life will be different. You'll change. And that's what happened to Apollos. Lastly, we see a person of the word is a selfless ambassador of the word. Oh, what a section. Look at this. A selfless ambassador of the word. Verse 27, and when he had wanted to go to, across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and, and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. And for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So what we see here is a mighty man of the word who fearlessly proclaims the word and who is able to be taught by others the word is then used greatly by God as a selfless ambassador of the word. We see three features of his characteristic of a selfless ambassador found here. Notice first, Apollos thought outside of himself. Oh, this is so good, so important. Take note. We're not exactly told why Apollos wanted to go to Achaia. But we can surmise that Priscilla and Aquila told him about the believers in that area. Why? Because Achaia was right next to or near Corinth. Corinth, after he left, Paul left Corinth, he went to Achaia and then on. Achaia was probably the port city or the location where everything went. So it's really talking about how Apollos was going back to Corinth through way of Achaia, or the area. Achaia was that area that Priscilla and Aquila had ministered with the Apostle Paul. We know from Acts 18 already, right? And we know for a fact that, the Apollo, uh, that Apollos ended up in Corinth and ministered there. How do I know? 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1.12 and 3.5-9. Apollos had a huge impact on the Corinth, the church in Corinth. This is very important for us to think on. A man or woman of the word is not just someone who has an enormous amount of biblical knowledge. A man or woman of the word is a person who has been transformed into being a selfless, others-focused person. Did you hear that? The word makes us selfless. The Word makes us think of others more than ourselves. The Word makes us want to share the truth with others. The Word gets our eyes off of ourself and onto others. If you can give a rock-solid defense of Calvinism or dispensationalism, but all you think about is yourself, then something is deadly wrong. Apollos was a man of God because the word of God had made him look out towards others, those in Achaia and Corinth. And when Priscilla and Aquila apparently spoke to him, he says, i got to go there. I need to go help those people. We know he was a selfless man of the word 
Because the believers gave him a recommendation letter. Priscilla and Aquila told him, hey, told him, sent with him a letter, probably sealed, saying, hey, listen to this guy. He knows the word. He's mighty in the scriptures. And he's teachable. And he loves God. Listen. Next feature, notice also that Apollos was greatly helped by, he greatly helped the believers. The adverb here, greatly, it intensifies the level of help accomplished by Apollos. Apollos didn't just show up and blend in. He went to work. He was a servant. He went to battle with his fellow believers. He stood with them. He encouraged them. He protected them. It appears he shepherded them. His ministry is described in 1 Corinthians 3 as watering. Watering what was sown by the Apostle Paul. That is, he came behind and he cultivated what the Apostle Paul had started. And he worked with them. Again, we can all learn from Apollos' example. Sometimes I'm reading through Acts and the epistles and I think, of myself, I think to myself, I can never be the Apostle Paul. Are y'all like me? I read him, I go, there's just no way. Third, beaten how many times? 39 lashes, you know, left for dead, shipwrecked. I'm like, I can't be that guy. There's no way. But then I run across a normal guy like this, Apollos. A guy that was passionate, a decent communicator, but not perfect. And he does the extraordinary things. This gives me hope. should give you hope. Folks, God works in Apollos. He can work in us. He can work in you. Right now. Be men and women of the word. What do we need to do on our side of the responsibility, you know, the responsibility of man, sovereignty of God, what are we supposed to do? We need to be people of the word like Apollos. We need to pursue God through his word with all the resolve we can muster. Praying for God to help us along the way. But we've got to pursue God all the time. Isn't it Piper that says that's the dangerous duty of delight? We must delight ourselves in the Lord. How often? All the time. And how do you delight yourself in the Lord? Through the word of God. You study and you pursue him. Paulus was a selfless ambassador of God to his fellow believers. Why? Because he knew God. We saw this even in our Sunday school today. Why? How can they love one another? Well, they love one another because they pursue the word. Because as you pursue the word, you know him more. You enjoy his kindness more. And as if you enjoy his kindness more, guess what you're going to do? You're going to love others. How about this one? If I command you to love others, you might take, go out of here and say, well, I'll do two or three jobs or tasks or I might try to fill my wife's love tank. Ugh, I hate that book. Sorry, I dislike that book. How about this one? Pursue God with all your heart. Pursue knowing him through the word with all your heart. And if you pursue knowing him and delighting in him, guess what? Loving your spouse is not going to be a problem. Why do you think in Ephesians 5 he talks about husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church? And then he explains how much Christ loves the church. Because this, the more we know Christ and how much he loves us, the more we're going to do what? Love others. 
How did he become this selfless man of the word? He was a man of the word. Studied the word. He worked to help them. I want to give all of you this exhortation. Don't wait for someone to come to help or to you to ask for help. Start helping now. Don't wait for us to approach you with a service project. If you are abiding in the Lord, you're going to want to serve. Don't wait on me to say, well, why don't you take out the garbage? Do you understand? The more you know Christ, the more anything you see where you can serve, you'll just do it. We don't have to have a program. There's no need for programs in this church. None. All I want you to do is pursue Christ with all your heart. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to serve people. We're going to be the only church in the whole county that doesn't have a committee. Praise the Lamb. We will never have a committee. We will never have any of that. Okay? I promise. All right, as long as I'm here. Hate committees. Absolutely despise them. If you're visiting and you like committees, I'm sorry. You probably won't be back. <laughs> but, but I really don't care. I'm not going to add a committee. I just want you to pursue God and his word. And we're going to teach you the word more and more and more and more. You know why? Because as we teach you the word, you're going to become a selfless ambassador for Christ. And things will happen, like you'll just adopt a child in a week. (laughs) Praise the Lamb. Mm. Mm. I'm not telling everybody to adopt, because I don't believe adoption's for everybody. But boy, I think a lot of us could think about it. This is a way to love people, right? Be an ambassador. What a God we serve, right? I think that's all evidence of God's supernatural work through his word in our lives. So we pursue him. Cook meals. Be hospitable. Pray for others. Encourage one another. Listen to others. Cry with others. Pursue others. Why? Because we know the word of God. We know the word who is revealed in the word. We know Jesus. So serving one another is natural. We're a selfless ambassador. That's what we do. We go and we stand with others. By the way, helping others is not always helping others on their terms or your terms, by the way. Do you hear me? Everyone has an ideal way that they could serve. They think, oh, I know. I should be a teacher. Well, maybe you should be a server first, a servant. We like to use the excuses. Well, that's not me. This isn't like me. That's not my personality. I don't do those things. Wait, folks. Maybe, just maybe, you're making that excuse because you're too focused on yourself. Ouch. Pain. Did you get the ouch moment there? That was the nope. Stop serving people the way you want to serve people. Maybe God wants you to do something really crazy. Serve selflessly. I, you know, Christ, the way that he served us is pretty 
Extraordinary, isn't it? Washing feet doesn't come real high on the list for God, I would think. God, the God, doesn't wash feet. He should be served, right? But the one who made us came and washed feet. Oh, beloved. This is what the word of God does to people. 33% of America believe the Bible is the authority, the sole source of authority for their life. If that were true, we would be a totally different country. Do you not agree? Finally, we see Apollos helped by defending the gospel. Look how he served. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. We know that almost everywhere Paul went, the Jews were seeking to destroy the message or discredit the gospel. This was no different in Achaia. So when Apollo shows up, they were seeking to attack the veracity of Jesus being the Jewish Messiah. So we now see that the apologist steps up and provides a defense. This verse is one of the reasons some may have made the argument that Apollos was the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews. Apollos refuted the Jews using scripture, much like the author of the Hebrew uh, of Hebrews does. Apollos was a man of the word, as we have seen, but he is also the presuppositional apologist. He stands on the truth of the scriptures. He uses the scriptures to prove that Jesus was the Christ. Apollos knew the Old Testament. He knew Jesus was the Messiah because the Old Testament showed it. So he uses the Old Testament to demonstrate that Jesus was the Christ. Beloved, the word of God is the only weapon we need. It is God's word. It changes minds. It silences the critics. This week, I had the privilege of witnessing with some of you at USF. I ran across a guy who believed in the Baha'i religion. Basically, the religion seeks to merge all the religions together, claiming that all the major figures came back as the next major religious figure. Like Abraham came back as Moses. Moses came back as Buddha. Buddha came back as David. Jesus came back as Muhammad. Muhammad came back as their, quote-unquote, so-called prophet in the 1800s. It was interesting that this guy was openly borrowing from the Bible to prove his religion, but then rejected any part of it when it spoke against his religion. He quoted from it when it helped his cause, and he quoted from liberal scholars that opposed the Bible when it helped his view. I tried to graciously confront him, and as I did, as I brought up Romans 1, that really set him off. He got angry. He said, you better be careful. He stepped back a little bit. You're blaspheming God. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And he was real serious. He said, you have no idea about my religion. You need to be careful of telling people about their religion, whether it's wrong or right, if you don't know it very well. A second, I thought in my head, oh, okay, maybe I should have studied your religion a little bit more. And then it hit me. No, I, I know your religion. I know your religion. It's very clear what your religion is. 
He said, what do you mean? I know exactly what your religion is. It's a man-made religion. Why do you... Why are you so bold to say that it's a man-made religion? Because the Bible tells me that it's a man-made religion. The Bible was very clear in Romans chapter 1 that all of man suppress the truth and they come up with a God in their own mind. So the fact of the matter is, is that all religions are man-made religions except the one true religion which says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to God except through the Son. Beloved, there's only one source that's able to refute all unbelief. Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and every other false religion. We all need to be selfless ambassadors of the truth. The Word of God. How does this happen? How do we become like Apollos? Well, I would say we do it the same way that Ezra did it in Ezra chapter 7, and we'll close there. Love this verse that we read this morning, Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Oh, beloved, is that a description of your life? Have you set your heart to study God's word? Have you set your heart to practice the word of God? Have you set your heart to teach and proclaim and live the statutes and ordinances of God found in his word? That's what it means to be a man of God or a woman of God. That's what I want to be. How about you? Let's pray for God's help. Let's pray. Father, we come recognizing that your spirit is working mightily in your children. We know that you are able to take and direct us and help us to be satisfied with Christ as found in Scripture. Oh, Father, we pray that you will help make all of us men or women of the word. Help us to love your word. Help us to know your word. Help us to meditate on your word. Help us to apply your word. Help us to live your word. Help us to preach your word. Help us to teach your word. Help us to make others that preach and teach and live and love your word. Oh God, make Grace Bible Church a church of your word. Oh God, please help us. We can't do it without you. We need you, God. We know your word is good. We know that your word is powerful. We know your word transforms lives. We know that this world is lost and dying and dark and it needs hope. And we have that hope in the word. Oh, God, please make our church a light to this community and a light to this word world. Oh, God, make us a people that love your word, long for your word, and lastly, proclaim your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.